right, guys. Let's return to our seats. There's so much left to do. Whoa. What's that music? I don't know. Turn that music off. All right, there we go. There was music coming out of it. I was like, whoa. I'm hearing angels for a second. It was Spotify. All right, come on. If you're outside, let's go. I want to introduce you guys to Jamie Bagley. So you know Rich Stevenson. Uh, he's the other co-director with Jeff of the Malachi Network. He's spoken here a bunch of times. Um, Jamie was Rich's youth pastor. Is that correct? No? Y'all were friends? Well, that's what I was, I was, I was going to make a joke about you being old. So They were in youth group together. Jamie was like some sort of older. No, I'm just kidding. But you worked with his dad at his dad's church, right? You go way back. Jamie goes way back with Rich is all I'm trying to say. <laughs> Maybe you should introduce yourself. Jamie is a pastor in New Jersey in the Malachi Network, and everything I said is not accurate. Thanks, Brian. It's good to be here today. I loved the worship this morning. It was awesome. Uh, so when I was 15 years old, uh, just a couple days after my 15th birthday, uh, my father had organized this lay witness mission to come to our Presbyterian church. And uh, there was one family who sent two of their kids to be part of this lay witness mission their 11-year-old son and their 15-year-old daughter. And their 11-year-old son was Rich Stevenson, so he's a four years younger than me, and uh, his sister, Laura, who came to stay at my house. And it was that weekend when I went forward at an invitation uh, to make myself, to commit myself to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that was a defining moment in my life. My mother realized that, well, she needed to get me in an environment where I could be nurtured in that commitment. And so a few months later, Rich's father came into our area to pastor a Methodist church. And so we began to go to church there. So Rich's father was very instrumental in my growth from that point on. Uh, I am now married to a girl at that church where Rich's father pastored. Um, we have four kids. And uh, those four kids have given me eight grandchildren so far. Six that live within a few minutes of my house, two in Hawaii. And what I discovered is the government won't give me any tax deductions for going to visit my grandchildren in Hawaii, whom the government sends to Hawaii because my son's an officer of the Navy. And so I'm still upset about that. But um, I'm still going to go see him, of course. It's good to be here with you today. Hey, they've asked me to talk about Exodus chapter 12, okay? And uh, this is, to me, a really powerful section of Scripture, and I'm going to talk about that more. What I want to do this morning is this. I'm going to read over most of chapter 12 with you, and just a warning, that's like 51 verses, okay? So after I read through most of the 51 verses with you, because you really need to, to get what it's saying, I'm going to make a couple of simple observations, things that impact me from that passage, and then I'm going to share some testimony, just talk about the ways that that passage impacts me. So we're going to keep it simple this morning, and then at the end, I don't know if this happens all the time, but I'll give you an invitation to respond to. And uh, I'll challenge you to be impacted as God's word goes out this morning. So Lord, I just ask that as we share in these moments, that you take the words that you place on my heart and that you would bring forth life to those who have ears to hear this morning. I ask that your spirit might have freedom to move among us here. I ask, Lord, that your presence might be magnified as your word goes out and that hearts might be sensitive and that your spirit might be able to reveal Give us the revelation that we need individually to understand how it is you want to shape and mold our lives as you lead us on. I ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. All right, so I don't know how many of you I have met before, but I've probably been coming to worship with you guys here longer than most of you have been here. Uh, it was right after this congregation started that I come and I would stay at Jeff's house and go to worship and, and be here. So I come here once a year as I travel through Florida in March. I'm usually a week later than this, but it's good to be here the first week uh, or the last week in February this year where the seasons are a little bit different and my allergies are responding. Okay, I'm going to hold the mic up. <laughs> Exodus chapter 12, the first 21 verses, God is speaking to Moses. And it says that while the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. Verse 2 says, From now on, this month will be the first month of the year, of the year for you. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, 
each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for sacrifice, one animal for each household. And if a family is too small to eat the whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much that they can eat. The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat, with no defects. Verse 6. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of this month, of this first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides of the top of the doorpost of the homes where they eat the animal. That same night, they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. Do not eat any of the meat raw or boiled in water. The whole animal included the head, the legs, the internal organs must be roasted over a fire. Do not leave any of it until the next morning. Burn whatever is not eaten before morning. These are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed. Wear your sandals and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. Verse 12, on that night I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign, marking the homes where you are staying. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is a day to remember. Each year, from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is the law for all time. For seven days, the bread you eat must be made without yeast, and on the day of the festival, remove every trace of yeast from your homes. Anyone who eats bread from bread made with yeast during the seven days of the festival will be cut off from the community of Israel. On the first day of the festival, and again on the seventh day, all the people must observe an official day for holy assembly. No work of any kind may be done on these days except in the preparation of food. Celebrate this festival of unleavened bread, for it will remind you that I brought you, your forces, out of the land of Egypt on this very day. For the festival will be a permanent law for you. Celebrate this day from generation to generation. The bread you eat must be made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day of that first month until the evening of the 21st day of that month. During those seven days, there must be no trace of yeast in your homes. Anyone who eats anything made with yeast during this week will be cut off from the community of Israel. Those regulations apply both to the foreigners living among you and to the native-born Israelites. During those days, you must not eat anything made with yeast. Wherever you live, eat only bread made without yeast. Now, in verse 21, it says that then Moses called all the elders of Israel together, and he said to them. So now the Lord had given Moses an Aaron instruction. Now Moses is giving instructions to the elders of Israel. He says, go pick out a lamb or a young goat for each of your families and slaughter it, at the pass, slaughter it as the Passover animal. Drain the blood into a basin and take a bundle of the hyssop branches and dip them into the blood and brush the hyssop across the top of the sides of the door frames of your homes. And no one may go out through the door until morning. For the Lord will pass through the land and strike down the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on the top of the sides of the door frame, the Lord will pass over your home. He will not permit death, the death angel, to enter your house and to strike you down. Remember, these instructions 
are a permanent law for, that you and your descendants must observe forever. And when you enter the land that the Lord has promised to give you, you will continue to observe this ceremony. Then your children will ask, what does this ceremony mean? And you will reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. And though he struck the Egyptians, he spared our families. When Moses had finished speaking, all the people bowed down to the ground and worshiped. And so the people of Israel did just as the Lord had commanded through Moses and Aaron. And that night at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn son of the Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn son of the prisoner in the dungeon. Even the firstborn of the livestock were killed. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the people of Egypt woke up during the night and loud wailing was heard throughout the land of Egypt. There was not a single house where someone had not died. Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night. Get out, he ordered. Leave my people and take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you said and be gone. Go, but bless me as you leave. All the Egyptians urged the people of Israel to get out of the land as quickly as possible, for they thought, we will all die. And the Israelites took their bread dough before the yeast was added. They wrapped their kneading boards and their cloaks, and they carried them on their shoulders. And the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed, and they asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. The Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites, and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. And so they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. I'm going to go on, and I'm just going to move down to the last couple of verses. Verse 50 says, And so all the people of Israel followed all the Lord's commands to Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt like an army. Powerful story. When I read the story, it's like I get chills. I want to make a few observations about this story. The first is that this story is not just another Old Testament story. To me, this is like one of the biggest of the Old Testament. This is the most powerful of the Old Testament stories to me. This is the most victorious of the Old Testament stories. And let me give you some background for the way I understand it. I, I want you to know that living in South Jersey, I'm only about 35 minutes drive from Philadelphia where all the sports teams play. And, you know, we in the Philadelphia area, we are big sports fans. We're very passionate about our sports. And so we have high hopes for our teams. And when they're doing good, we're the, we're the first to, like, have celebrations. But when they're doing bad, we're the first to, like, be the boo birds, as they call us. And so last fall, the Phillies had a great season. Nobody expected this. And at the end of the season, they made it all the way to the World Series. And so everybody was excited. And when we're in the World Series, we thought, yeah, this is the chance. We had the chance to win it this year. Anybody watch the World Series? Well, yeah. The Phillies, they played their hearts out, but they were just no match for the Astros. And so our, our hearts sunk a little bit. But at the same time, the Eagles, the Eagles start off the season, and, and they're playing well. And they're looking like the best team in all football, right? And the Eagles go on, and, man, they make it to the Super Bowl. And we thought, this is the year. Did anybody watch the Super Bowl? Okay. We're not going to talk much about the Super Bowl, okay? <laughs> But the second half didn't go our way. The first half, it was undoubtedly that the Eagles were the best team in the game. But the second half, everything went crazy. And, and we don't know what happened, but it happened, and our hearts all sunk. And so while we were hoping this is a year that we could live with memories to the future, now we're still going back and remembering. Well, five years ago, we beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And like many years ago, Tug McGraw threw that you know, last inning to 
get the victory in the World Series. So, so we're having to go back further, remember. But it's those victories which spur us on. And when times get tough and challenges are before us, it's those victories that we cling to, those memories that we have. And so when I read this story, to me this is a powerful story because it's a story that God's people remember, and they remember to this very day. A vital story that helps us see within this story the redemptive grace of God at work in the lives of his people. God is sovereign. God is in control. They had been in captivity for more than 400 years. He had prophesied that this would take place, but he said that a time would come when they would be set free. He had promised that, and they were clinging to that hope. And here it happened, so they remembered this story and the experiences of what happened in their captivity as well as being set free in this exodus, this Passover event, and their exodus from Egypt is one that they cling to still to this day as they remember the Passover. Second observation, this is a story of a special sacrifice. Did you hear as I read about the lamb or the goat that was to be offered by a family? They were supposed to find the pick of the litter, the one without blemish or out any defect. And they were supposed to bring it into their home for 14 days. And then after 14 days at twilight, they were all supposed to sacrifice this animal. The animal would be a substitutionary sacrifice when the angel of death passed through. Now, how many of you have family pets? Okay. Think about this. They're taking this cute little lamb into their home for 14 days. So it becomes like a family pet to them. And you know how fam you grow and so I'm not really a dog lover, but I go to Jeff's house. Uh, or I go to Brian's house, excuse me now. And, and he's got these dogs and... Like, I've got to know them. Over, I, I think they remember me every time that I come because they see me and they wag their tails. And even though I don't like dogs, I kind of like them. And we have this relationship. <laughs> you guys get like that with your pets? Okay. I want you to think about this story. They bring this animal into their home for 14 days. And, you know, the kids are probably playing with the animal. And the family goes attached to the animal. And after 14 days, they're to sacrifice this animal. This is a special sacrifice and it'll be a meaningful sacrifice because they've grown attached to this animal. The third observation, uh, this is a story that includes a very meaningful meal, a very meaningful meal. I love Thanksgiving. Well, I love most about Thanksgiving. I don't like all about that. I, I love Thanksgiving because all my kids come over and I get to play with my grandchildren. The extended family comes to my house and that's where it gets a little dicey. Um, somebody once said that the Thanksgiving meal is the most dysfunctional moment of everybody's year. Anybody? Uh, and we have some very dysfunctional people in my house. My kids always want to know, Dad, is Aunt Robin coming this year? You know, depends on what mood she's in. We never know. And if Aunt Robin and Aunt Sue are together, sometimes there's a lot of friction. People won't speak for a while. It gets a little bit strange those moments when we share a meal together, when we express our gratitude to God together for the things that we've been blessed with over the last year, they're meaningful to me. And to be together as a family is, is meaningful to me. This is to be a meaningful meal for the Hebrew people, for the nation of Israel. All Israel was being called together, household by household, to celebrate. This was a very important moment where they would all identify as a community and share in the participation of what was happening, preparing themselves for what lie ahead. All Israel, scholars estimate that there was probably close to two million, all Israel was going to be celebrating this meal at the same time with expectations that God was about to move very powerfully on their behalf. And so as they gathered together and as they shared in the sacrifice and as they ate the meal according to the instructions, the, the bitter herbs which were to remind them of the bitterness of their 400 plus years of slavery, it had deep meaning for them and it was preparing them for what was to come. 
it's a story with a very meaningful meal. And fourthly, it's a story about faithful obedience. They were instructed by Moses to follow the Lord's commands to the letter. And it was important that they do just as he said. And if you didn't follow the commands as was specified, you know, it was to be cut off from the community. They were to spread the blood of the sacrificed animal on their doorpost. As instructed, in faithful believing that God would pass over them with his judgment, spare them of the wrath that he was going to bring on Egypt. Trusting God, trusting that God has us in the midst of the struggle that we're in, hoping that the Lord would deliver them, that they would be set free, that they would be led out of Egypt to experience the blessings that the prophets had foretold of. They were clinging to this hope. So those are some observations that I have based on that story. But there's some more things in this story that really jump out at me. And that's what I want to really leave you with today. When I share messages with my home congregation, I always say, I want to give you a take-home. And so now I want to give you the take-home. What really impacts me as I read this story is that there's something more to it. Because as I read the story, I see Jesus in this story. I see Jesus in the Passover of this story. And so I want to encourage you, don't pass over Jesus in this Passover story. In the way that God's redemptive grace was displayed, I see Jesus. In the special sacrifice that was to be made, I see Jesus. In the meaningful meal that was celebrated, I see Jesus. In the call to faithful obedience, to follow God's sovereign plan and to rest and to believe in him, I see Jesus. In the new relationship with God that they would experience as they followed this and God would establish a new covenant for them in relationship, I see Jesus. As I see Jesus in this event, in this Passover story, the New Testament just comes alive to me. Can you see that? Don't pass over Jesus in the Passover story. As I see Jesus in the New Testament, as I think about some of the things that I read by New Testament writers, I get excited about this story. In the beginning of the Gospel of John, John's talking about how, how God is here, dwelling among us now, pitching his tent, tabernacle, living among us. And then the story about John baptizing, John the Baptist baptizing out in the wilderness. Jesus goes to be baptized by John. And what does John say as he sees Jesus coming? Behold, it's the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Wow. I think about that and I get goosebumps. Jesus, the Lamb of God, a sacrifice once and for all, a new covenant that would be established through him, a plan for an eternal relationship with God through him. In this new relationship, God's going to give us an ability and a power to say no to sin, to live in righteousness, to be delivered from the entanglements of life, to remove the guilt and shame of our past, and to experience an abundant life that we never had in our ability to experience. I see Jesus, as I read through the gospel and understand, I see Jesus as portrayed as the Passover lamb and just comes alive to me. I love how Luke tells us about what took place at the Passover. Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples, and they have a special meal. Steve was going to tell me earlier that they're going to share a special Seder celebration here with you all. It's going to be very meaningful to you. This is going to come alive to you. As I think about Jesus sharing that Passover meal with his disciples just before he went to the cross, I think about the meaning of what took place as they would remember the exodus, how God moved on behalf of his people, and as he led them and delivered them from their captivity, led them on to celebrate the abundant life of the promised land. Steve, I, I, I think of Jesus sitting at that meal, and when he held up the cup, you know, 
it doesn't say for sure in the scripture, but I believe it's that third cup, the cup of redemption that he holds up for them. The cup of the new covenant based on our relationship with him. The covenant relationship that we can have that, that his spirit fills us and moves us and empowers us to live out our destiny with God. I love what the Apostle Paul writes as he's writing to encourage the Corinthians. Paul's encouraging the Corinthians to live out their identity, to overcome the entanglements of sin and live out their identity in Christ. He says, get rid of the sin in your life so that you may be a new... I can't even read my writing. I wrote it down. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. So that you may be a new unleavened batch for Christ is our Passover lamb he has been sacrificed take advantage of your new identity in him have you ever read about the lamb of God in the book of Revelation I love to read the re there are 27 references to the lamb in the book of Revelation and in the book of Revelation the lamb isn't seen the same way it's seen in maybe the Old Testament. The lamb in the Revelation is seen as a victorious conqueror. I love reading about the lamb. In the, the lamb is the one who has the right to open the scrolls. The lamb is the one who, at the last judgment, has the names of everyone who has trusted in Jesus. Their name is in the lamb's book of life. They won't receive the final judgment, but those who aren't in the book of life, they'll be judged. That's good news for me because I understand that because of Jesus, the Lamb of God, because of Jesus' sacrifice, paying the price for my sin, I can now experience God and have fellowship and hope in the promises that are yet to come. And as I read in the book of Revelation and understand all that lies ahead in the culmination of this age as we're taken to the age to come, this picture of the Lamb of God is powerful to me. A little bit of testimony. I don't know about you, but the last three years haven't been the easiest years of the 64 years I've been alive. The last three years have been, in many ways, some of the toughest years of my life. There have been things that have been very overwhelming to me during these last three years. I wrestled with a lot as we went through the pandemic. I wrestled with a lot, well, with things that were being mandated to me during the pandemic. I wrestled with a lot of the ways that people responded to life during the pandemic. And I got frustrated at times. I worked for a school system. I coach high school sports. And Man, I saw kids suffering, confused, disillusioned, not understanding you know, what was happening and all the confusion that we were in. I got a lot of frustrated during the last three years. I saw friends die like crazy over these last three years. Not even of coronavirus. I mean, last August, July and August, I had three very close friends die. In January, I'm away, I'm doing ministry in Jamaica. Four friends died while I was in Jamaica. This void in my life, I mean, I know that they're all with Jesus and I can celebrate that, but it leaves me with this void, this absence that I have to reconcile. I come to Florida every year and I love to stop in Jacksonville and to visit my friends here, but I'm on my way south to Northport on the Gulf Coast. There's a man who's been a mentor to me for, for 40 years. He's 91 years old. He died a couple weeks ago. A void is left, memories that we cherish. I'm going down there this year to spend time with his wife. And we're going to remember together. We're going to celebrate what God has done. And we're going to anticipate the great and final victories that are ours in Christ. These last three years have been a challenge to me. I've had some physical problems. I was trying to keep my 25-year-old daughter sane during the lockdowns, and so we would go to the Appalachian Trail and do two-day hikes together. And wow, on the third trip, I slipped coming down a mountain trail and I fell on my backside and 
I got up and I felt okay, but a few days later I'm having nerve pain in my legs. And I was living with that and the doctor says it wasn't too bad and it could heal over time, but then I crashed on my mountain bike a few weeks later. <laughs> and so I went to a chiropractor and was doing rehab and it was getting better and then I slipped on the ice, closing up my chicken coop one night. <laughs> and then I was in nerve pain for 10 and a half months. Wow. You ever been in nerve pain? It's not a very pleasant thing. It's been a challenging last few years for me. And I'm always very busy. High school sports kind of like keep me very active. And I was feeling really drained, and, and these frustrations had been building up inside of me. And so I decided that in November I, I needed to take a sort of sabbatical from coaching and just kind of really reflect and, and really seek the Lord, really try to press into deal with these things that I'm experiencing. And so I was telling Brian, I began to journal. I took time off, and I began to journal. And I began to journal about all my frustrations that I experienced over these last few years. And as I journaled about these things, I began to understand more about the ways they had impacted my life, more about the deep grief that I was experiencing for the loss of friends, more about the struggles of life that had just complicated things. I don't know if anybody else has struggled during the last three years, but I found that like journaling was a great release for me because God was meeting me as I got in touch with what was going on inside of my heart. And it, only as I got in touch with him that I then knew how to turn them over to God. God met me in that process and began to minister to my soul and began to just free me up. I felt like I was being delivered day by day as I would journal. And, and I would come to deeper insights of how I had been affected. The Lord was meeting me with that, and his spirit was ministering to me with that, bringing healing to my life and, and just giving me this overwhelming sense of being set free. 31 years ago, some friends and I started a, a mission in the Blue Mountains of Jamaica, and we go there. I go there at least once a year, and as I go now, I have deep friendships. It's the same places that we're going to every year in the Swift River Valley, and I go from church to church and do Bible studies and prayer meetings and, and preach at different churches. And I went there this year, and so I, I'm being re, you know, refreshed um, as I go through this journaling experience, and God's doing something in my life. And so I, I go with some extra excitement this year, and I get to Jamaica, and I realize that something's going on there, something that I haven't seen there for. I, I saw something like this in the 90s, 1990s, that is, for you younger people. And, and I'm noticing something powerful is going on again. When I went to the village, there was this heightened sense of God's presence, and, and people were coming out to the worship experiences and the Bible studies as I hadn't seen in more than 25 years. And there were some really dramatic conversions taking place. One man who I had, had shared with a couple of years ago, he was a shop owner. That means he had a little shed along the road that they sold almost anything you could imagine. And I had talked to him one Sunday as I needed something to drink before I went and preached at the next church. And, and I talked to my shared Jesus with him, and he just looked at me like I was crazy. Well, I went to preach at that little church next to his shop, and he's there this year, and he's got this huge smile on his face. And somebody told me, yeah, he's been coming out for six months, and we're going to baptize him in a few weeks. And so at the end of the service, he comes forward for prayer, and my friends and I, we laid hands on him, and he was just bubbling over with the joy of the Lord. It was really neat. And as I went from place to place and talked to different people, experiences like that, I sensed that God was moving in Jamaica before I got there, doing something special that the people were responding to. They didn't completely understand it, but I discovered in conversations that some of them were experiencing some of the same things I was experiencing, just like this overwhelming confusion for the last year, some disillusionment, some lack of understanding, some frustration. And now, as we're getting back into life, we're trying to, well, understand life as it should be. Maybe not as it was, but to experience the Lord as we really should be experiencing and to get some things out of our lives and things straightened in our lives so we aren't distracted by them anymore. Anybody relate to what I'm talking about? I mean, I know for me, I came home from Jamaica, and it was such a powerful experience. I canceled my MLB subscription because I watched, like, way too much baseball at night. And I know it distracts me from time I, I, I could be reading and studying. It kind of consumes me. When I told Jeff that the other day, Jeff thought I was crazy. But, you know, Jeff's a baseball guy. 
but I saw God moving in Jamaica. In fact, one story that was really powerful to me was I'm out in a village. It's at the end of the road where at the base of the mountains where you just take a path up. It's where Rastafarians live so that the police don't even come up there and bother them for the things that they want to do. And while I was up there, I took a nurse with me, and she's doing health checks on people. She does blood pressure checks and blood sugar checks and gives out vitamins and things like that. We were there, and some woman comes up to me, and she starts to talk to me. She calls me by name, and I'm wondering, how do you know me? And she said, she reminded me that like 25, 26 years ago, when she was a teenager, she came to me as I was playing and singing in villages one day, and she wanted to play my guitar. And so I taught her some chords on my guitar. And I found out that somebody had on my team then had a guitar I could leave with her. And so I hand wrote some music to some worship songs and I gave them to her and left the guitar with her. Well, I hadn't seen her in 25 years. And so she comes back and she tells me her story. The Lord had worked great things in her life. And she went to high school, and so for the people up in the villages, the mountain villages to get to high school, it's like you got to get an hour ride somehow to the high school every day. And, and she was able to get into the top academic high school in Port Antonio, and, and she thrived there. And then she went on to graduate school, uh, to college and graduate school. She became a pastor and was pastoring in St. Martin's for 14 years. And then when the pandemic hit and everything got crazy, she got disillusioned, and she got burned out from pastoring, and her mother died, and she came back to Jamaica, and then she had problems with her husband, and he left, and she went through a divorce, and her life's crazy now. And she hadn't, she'd been there for a year. She hadn't talked to anybody about any of this, and all of a sudden, she starts pouring her heart out to me. And I shared with her what I was experiencing, and it's like the joy of the Lord began to come back to her, and she went, and she got her guitar, and she music out that I had handwritten and started to play and sing for me. The joy of the Lord began to fill her again. I come home from Jamaica and I hear about this stuff going on at Asbury. You've heard about that. You've heard Brian talk about it. You heard Jeff talk about it today. I mean, it's a powerful experience. My daughter and I watched the live stream. It's so simple, but yet so powerful. And these students, I want you to, high school, college students, they have a level of anxiety right now that is just crazy. Life has been so nuts, especially these last three years. I read an article a few days ago that said the level of anxiety in high school students today can be compared to mental, mental, mental patients hospitalized in institutions in the 1970s. Now, because I am in a high school every day coaching, and working with students, I think that's a pretty accurate assessment. So here at Asbury, you have these students who are beginning another semester that go to chapel one day, and they don't want to leave because it's so rich and so powerful and it's ministering to them. I see, I was telling Brian, I see this as a revival of refreshment. They're worshiping, they're praising God, they're coming for prayer, they're being released of this anxiety that they're experiencing, and they're wanting more and more, and spreading through other college campuses. It's, it's even in my town. One of the guys in my pastor's group, he gets in his car when he heard about it. He drove the 10 hours to Wilmore so he could be there. He was having some struggles in his life. He's 52 years old, and his ministry has been hard. And he went there. He just needed prayer. He needed to be released. And he comes back three days later, and he comes to my house right away, and he's talking to me nonstop for two hours, just telling me about what he experienced. God's doing something special now. He's doing something special. I think he wants to do it in, in all of us. He realizes how much that we've gone through over these last few years. He knows we need a special touch, a special outpouring, if that's what you want to call it, of his spirit to come and impact us and, and refresh us and reorient us. Maybe not like we were when things began three years ago, but maybe in a new and even better way. Amen? I know that's what I want. That's why I'm getting rid of my MLB station. I don't want to be distracted. I want all of it. I want all that I can get of it. Amen? Because when God refreshes us, he's also preparing us, I believe, for what is in store for us in our future. And so as I watch those who are experiencing these powerful moves of God, I see this great desire for more and for a deeper 
experience of God's presence. I was sharing with Brian the other day. I'm a little bit older than Brian. I remember when I was about his age going to experience different revival experiences that were going on. There was one in Toronto that went on for about 12 years. Anybody remember that one? Called the Toronto Blessing. And I was up there a few times. Uh, I went down to Pensacola, Florida and experienced that one. That was a little bit different, but that was refreshing to me. I uh, was in Lakeland. I think that was what, about 2009 when there were things going on there. I had a friend who had cancer and only given like a couple weeks to live. I took him there and he received prayer and a blessing. He lived for a few more years and celebrated the blessing that God gave him through that. Well, we don't always understand exactly what happens when these experiences are taking place, but there's a desperation to experience God. People are pushing through the things that are sometimes cluttering their lives so that they can be in position to receive from God what God wants to give them, a touch of his spirit, a filling of his spirit a refreshing of their soul. Now, I was sharing with Brian that I think God's doing something now, and we need to position ourselves to be available to what God wants to do in our lives. Amen? I want to share one more thing with you. One more verse that kind of relates to the Passover experience, and this one might be a hard one for you, but I'm going to share it as I read it. Um, this is from John chapter 15. And from the time I was young, John chapter 15 was really powerful to me. In this translation of this Bible that Brian handed me a few minutes ago, John 15 says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. Verse 2 says, he cuts down every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes every branch that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message that I have given to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I love this, and I remember memorizing this as a child, how powerful this spoke to me about being in Jesus and remaining in Jesus and receiving from Jesus the nourishment that I needed in my faith so that I could be fruitful for God. But as I would recite this to myself and as I would read this in my Bible, something bothered me about verse 2. Are you, are you there with me? I am the true grapevine. My father is the gardener, verse 1 says. He cuts off every branch in me that doesn't produce fruit. And, and to me, as I read these first five verses, that verse didn't like really fit because he's talking in the first five verses about those who are in him, branches connected to him. And so I began to study this many years ago, and I discovered that like of 61 English translations, 59 of them record it in this fashion, but there are two that don't. And so I studied to understand the two that don't, and I found that there are many scholars who believe that this is like a mistranslation and it's hard to translate this verse because, first of all, Jesus probably spoke this in Aramaic, and then John's recording this in Greek, so John's choosing Greek words to translate the Aramaic, and they're trying to understand the best fit. But to truly understand this, Messianic Jews would say that you have to understand what's taking place in the context in the way that a farmer would work in that context. Does that make sense? How a farmer would take care of his precious vines. And a contextual understanding would say, that a farmer would never disconnect a branch that is connected already. They would do everything possible to nurture that branch and bring it back to fruitful production. In fact, if you look up the word that John chooses in Greek to translate what Jesus said in Aramaic, the word's first definition does not say he takes away every branch of me that doesn't bear fruit. It says he actually lifts up every branch that doesn't bear fruit. And so to understand the contextual understanding, you would know that a farmer would take a branch that's been beaten down by the weather and is like stuck in the mud and he'd prop it up so it could then get the sunlight and nourishment it would need to become fruitful again. And I like that translation because that helps me to understand the work of God in my life. God wants to make me fruitful after I've gone through difficult things in life. 
the seasons in life where the storms have beaten me down and I feel like I'm stuck in the mud. He wants to prop me up and get me nourished again so that I can become fruitful. So I cling to that translation of verse 2 because as I read in those first five verses, that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the work of God, the farmer, to make us productive as branches connected to the vine. So as I finish with that story today, I also want to challenge you as you grasp to that kind of an understanding. I want to challenge you and give an invitation here at the end as worship people come up to lead us in a final song. I want to challenge you to ask yourself if you're in position for God, what the Lord wants to do in your life. I mean, I've shared that I believe that the Lord wants to do something very powerful at this point in time, not just maybe even here in Jacksonville, but in our country, in our world. I've seen things happening in Jamaica. I've read about things taking place all over the country. The Lord's presence seems to be very powerful, and people are pressing through the things that sometimes distract them, and, and they're seeking more and more of God's presence. I know in my town there's people gathering nightly in prayer services to experience the things that they've been reading about that are taking place in Asbury and other places. They want to press through and they want to experience it because they believe this is a moment in time where God is trying to connect with us, to refresh us. And as we desire more of his presence, he's going to break into our lives to bring forth the healing that we need. He wants to refresh our souls. And he wants to prepare us as he refreshes us for what he wants to do in our future. And so as I leave this platform right now, I want to present you with that challenge to seek God to express that kind of desire, to say to the Lord, yes, Lord, I want your presence. I want your presence more powerfully than I've experienced it. I want your presence more powerful than I've ever experienced. I want to open my life up to you and position myself to receive your spirit in this work in my life that would heal me of all the things that I've struggled with over these last few years, maybe all the confusion that I've had, the struggles that I've been through. I want your presence that will empower me to live a victorious life. I'm going to hand the microphone over to Brian. I'm going to go sit down. But I want you to know, God's presence is being magnified. And he wants to do all kinds of healing work and victorious work in our lives as we seek him. Amen. Thank you, Jamie. The, uh, when we were in... We walked into the room on the campus at Asbury, and we spent the better part of 10 hours in there, and it was like a weird time warp. And we'll share more about it over time, but the thing I want to talk about right now with what Jamie was saying, the testimony is there, the Spirit of God was in the space in such a way it was just, I described it as powerfully peaceful. I don't know if Brandon if would describe it the same sort of way, but there was just a very powerful sense of God's peace and love for his children. And it was overwhelming to watch some people probably experiencing that for the first time or other people being reminded of it. And I shared this the other night at the Jacksonville House of Prayer when we were praying that what surprised me for myself was encountering that so refreshing immediately brought my mind to pruning which is strange the other day Carrie and I cleaned the whole house and it was and it was totally clean and ready for people to come and then I also went and was pressure washing the barn for our, our young adult service we had last night and it, it was it was nasty in there and but it was clean when I was done and I went back inside the house to get get more coffee as per the norm and to eat lunch and Carrie was like seriously you're going to come in here like that and I was like well I think the bottom of my shoes is clean but I did have to and the point I'm meaning is when we walked into that room the auditorium that was there on Asbury this presence of God that was so refreshing and healing and was lifting up branches like Jamie was talking about the holiness of God was so present there that I suddenly realized how dirty my shoes were and there were things that I needed to deal with that needed to be pruned. And so what we want to, when, when you were reading the verse in Exodus, and they did all that God commanded them, 
Um, as God's de finally delivering them from Egypt. This is the thing that I, I want us to take seriously this calling and pruning and the leaving behind of things. And so I want to call the prayer team that's, uh, you know, up. They'll have people that will pray for you. They'll be gathered by this door and that door if you need time to pray. But I also, while they're singing this song, encourage you to come spend some time with God. Because what I did, I realized my shoes were dirty and I needed to clean them or have God clean them, really. So I wrote a prayer down because I was like, I want to get this right. You may not need to do it. If you want to see my prayer, I'll, I'll share it with you. But it was for me. It's not like for everybody. I wrote a prayer down. I typed it on my phone. And then I changed it, and I got it right. And I sent it to my wife. I was like, is this right? And she wrote back, yes. <laughs> and so I went down, and I prayed that prayer. And then a guy came and prayed with me, prayed with me. And it was important to have somebody pray with me, you know, to even agree on these things. And the freedom that I felt from leaving that, that pruning that came, um, was, was amazing and was overwhelming. And I want you to experience the same sort of thing because Jesus loves all of us and he wants what's best for us he doesn't want what's worse for us and when we start to experience what god is truly like we want him more than mlb subscriptions not that there's anything wrong with that you know what i mean like if you got an mlb thing it's fine but you know for some of us we need like we need to have you know that gets in the way so i want to invite you to when you when jamie was speaking and you felt prompting to something particular for you like I felt particular for me, or he felt particular for him. I want you to take that seriously in this moment while they're singing this song. And if you want to come and do business with God, come do it. And there's people here that will pray with you and agree with you if you want to share with them, or if you just want to, uh, to say amen. You know, in James, we talked about to confessing to each other and laying hands on each other and things like that. It's important. So I'm going to get out of the way because Jamie already spoke very well about this. But I just want to pray. So, Father, I pray that you would continue to do this work that Jamie has pointed us to with the power of your Passover blood, Lord, that you would free us from the sins that entangle us and lift us up as those branches and break and cut off the ones that are dying in us so that we may bear much fruit for you, Lord. And we pray that you would do that as the good gardener of our hearts and our lives in Jesus' name. So sing this song and come forward and spend some time with the Lord.